Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome to Movie House Concessions on the MHM Podcast Network, where each episode we pull a random film from the display case to see if it tastes as fresh as the, the day it was released. I'm Patrick. And I'm Chad. And this week we were reviewing Batman the Movie from 1966, starring Adam West and Burt Ward. And I have the summary for the film. Batman and Robin, played by Adam West and Burt Ward, respond to a tip that Commodore Schmidlap is in danger aboard his yacht. The dynamic duo take the Batcopter to reach the yacht at sea. When they catch up to the yacht, Batman descends on the Bat Ladder to land on the yacht. However, the yacht mysteriously disappears as Batman nears the deck and the Dark Knight is lowered into the ocean by Robin. When he is pulled out of the sea, a shark has attacked Batman and has bitten his leg. Batman uses his bat shark repellent to get the shark to let go. The shark inexplicably explodes. Puzzled, Batman and Robin head to Commissioner James Jim Gordon's office, where they determine that the tip was a setup by the United Underworld, a group of some of Batman's most lethal enemies, the Joker, Catwoman, the Penguin, and the Riddler. The criminals have a plan to dehydrate some of the most influential people in Gotham City, to accomplish this goal, they have equipped themselves with a dehydrator that can turn humans into dust. The dehydrator has been invented by Schmidlap, who is not even aware he has been kidnapped. The United Underworld uses a war surplus submarine converted to look like a giant penguin as their base of operations, crewed with pirate-themed henchmen. Batman and Robin learned that the yacht was in fact a hologram that was being projected from a nearby channel buoy. When the duo go to investigate the projector, they become trapped as the buoy turns into a giant magnet and their utility belts hold the heroes fast. Three torpedoes are launched by the underworld and the Cape Crusaders destroy two of them using their radio detonators. The third is intercepted by a porpoise that sacrifices itself for the men who ultimately free themselves. Later, Catwoman disguises herself as Soviet journalist Akityana Irana Titania Kiransika Alizov, or Kitka for short, because that's the way I'm going to say it for the rest of the podcast. She meets with Bruce Wayne's Batman's alter ego and pretends to be kidnapped with him when the underworld abducts the billionaire. Their intention is to lure Batman out to save Wayne and kill him with another one of Penguin's explosive animals. Wayne escapes the underworld's headquarters, but returns shortly afterwards outfitted as Batman and accompanied by Robin. The underworld is gone, but they leave a bomb for Batman in the hopes that he is killed. Batman tries to dispose of the bomb, but he has difficulty with his task due to the large crowds of civilians around the dock. Ultimately, he does get rid of the bomb safely. Back at the underworld, the Penguin disguises himself as the Commodore and convinces Batman to take him to the Batcave. The Penguin has dehydrated five of his henchmen and plans to hydrate them in Batman's secret lair to kill Batman. His plan fails, however, when he mistakenly uses heavy water to rehydrate the men, and they each disintegrate whenever they are hit. 
Eventually, the underworld used their weapon to dehydrate the entirety of the United World Organization's Security Council. Batman and Robin pursue the underworld in the Batboat. Robin uses a sonic charge weapon to disable the Penguin submarine, which forces it to the surface. The heroes and villains have a classic 60s-era fistfight. Batman and Robin are victorious, but Bruce Wayne is devastated to learn that Kika is actually Catwoman. Commodore Schmidlap accidentally breaks the vials containing the powdered council members and sneezes on them, mixing the dust of each member together. Batman creates a machine to re-separate each of the individual members' dust molecules, even though Robin believes they should play God and manipulate them to help create world peace. Batman rehydrates all the members and discovers that they were only partially successful in separating the particles. However, all the members are alive and well, and Batman leave via their bat ropes out the window. And that is Batman the movie. Sounds exactly right. I have nothing to add to that summary. <laughs> well, there ain't much to add to it. All right. Uh, numbers on Batman the movie. Batman the movie was released on July 30th, 1966, uh, the same month as Incident at Phantom Hill, Three on a Couch, Torn Curtain, The Wild Angels, and How to Steal a Million. Uh, made on a budget of $1.5 million. It grossed $3.9 million uh, in 1966, which is roughly about $31.1 million today. Uh, it was actually released between the first and second seasons of the tele Batman television series at the time, and it was followed by two seasons uh, of the television series and two animated films, Batman Return of the Caped Crusader in 2016 and Batman vs. Two-Face in 2017. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 79% critics and 62% audience. And that's really all the numbers I could find on Batman the movie. Surprisingly, not nominated for Academy Awards. Oh, man. And Adam West only did this so he could be Bruce Wayne and have that extra drama. Yeah, that's... no no kidding. All right. Uh, so, Chad, I know this is an unusual pick. This was my pick uh, because yeah. I like to watch the films in order theor theoretically of release. And this is the first Batman movie to be released. Eventually, we'll review some of the other ones here on Movie House Concessions. Uh, this is, of course, Cinema Day comic book. Uh, and uh, when did you see this film? I had to stop and think about this one. Um because I naturally probably like every kid our age uh, watched the Batman TV show as probably our first introduction to Batman. And I just remember being at someone's house, like an aunt or uncle's house or something like that on a weekend, like a Sunday afternoon, this movie popped up and I thought it was the TV show at first. And I'm thinking, OK, they're just showing a rerun and this would have been the mid 80s of the TV show and cause it was in syndication. So I was thinking, okay, they just had a typical episode going, but I must've came in right at the very beginning because they got through Batman and Robin going out to see, you get the shark, blah, blah, blah. But then all of a sudden you get to the bad guys and there were four of them. And on the TV show, you never got four of them. You may have gotten two at best, but not the main ones. And then I, that's when I realized, this had to be some kind of a movie and I kept watching it and that's when I went back and uh, checked it out somehow and realized that there was a movie made in between seasons one and two and that was my introduction to this movie and I probably didn't see it from that point forward until I'll probably say 20 years ago 
I found a VHS copy of this to show my nephew because we were talking about the Batman TV show and how most of us were introduced to Batman, either from the comics or from this TV program. So we got a VHS copy of this and showed it to him so we could introduce him to Batman. Well, you know, this is weird that I, I too saw this in the eighties. I, I would presume it's probably the 80s. maybe it was the late seventies. And I don't know if in Indiana, uh, here we during the summer they would have like uh, matinee shows like you could you know a a parent could buy tickets for every Tuesday at ten a.m. they'd have play a random kids type movie and you could oh. buy a ticket you know kid a kids ticket for eight movies during the summer for twenty bucks or something like that it was ridiculously cheap or something along those lines and this was one of those movies I had oh. never seen the series ever. Before oh wow! I, before I seen this film, and I didn't see the series, any portion of the series, for years and years. It was not a show that reran a lot, or if it reran a lot here in Tucson, I didn't, I didn't wow. see it. So I was completely unfamiliar. I, I mean, I knew obviously knew Batman was. I watched, uh, you know, uh, Super Friends and things like that in, in cartoon format, but I never actually saw the live action version. And I remember li- liking it a lot when I saw it in its time, but didn't see it again for probably a couple of decades. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I can't say it was a treasure gem. It was not one I watched very often, but it was, you know, I think the next time I probably saw it was around the time Tim Burton's Batman came out in 89. And then this started getting retread on television that people, uh, some stations were rebroadcasting it, trying to get it on the, in on the Batman fever, if you will, during uh, the summer of 89. Yeah, I just know, go back to the TV show, which naturally inspired this movie, basically for, I'll say, uh, two, three years off and on, you would get it in syndication at three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon. I'll say, let's just say 4 o'clock in the afternoon, for example. So what they would do is they would show the second episode, because most of the series went as two parters. So they would show the second episode at four o'clock and then the first episode of the next two parter at say four thirty. So then that would make you come back the next day to watch part two to see how did Batman get out of this dilemma? And it was always just a nice scam that we realized even as kids in say first, second, third grade, that this is what they're getting out of us. You know, I never knew that this thing was made in the 60s. I thought it was more like the 70s until I got a little bit older and was able to do research. And I realized in the mid 80s that, man, this thing's 20 years old and just never realized it. (laughs) Just one of those things that, yeah, it popped up on and off uh, various stations and syndication here. Well, what did you think? Of, I mean, having been essentially a child of the 80s coming up uh, and your I mean, you this would have been your first experience to Batman, but you probably grew up with the super friends. Right. I mean, right. You know, and I, and I and I've heard this said about a lot of people, uh, you know, as how how they perceive their Batman and, you know, what, by kind of their first experience. I know Kevin Smith is on his podcast referred to like the 66 Batman is his that's how he defines Batman. You know, that was his, that how, what he grew up watching all the time. But obviously I just stated, I did not, I, I saw the cartoons, but even then that was a, a very watered down Batman. What did you think of Adam West is kind of campy portrayal in this film of Batman? Now being in my mid forties now, 
yes, I see it very, very campy nowadays. And I get the camp of the TV series and this movie. When I was a little kid, it wasn't campy. It was just, Jesus, they have a live-action Batman and Robin, and, you know, you're happy. But, yeah, nowadays you see that it's really, really campy. And Adam West is a decent actor. I give him credit for making a Batman, like Kevin Smith says, that we grew up with and we knew who Batman was because of him. But his portrayal was very uh, heavy-handed, over the top, uh, tried to be a little bit too Shakespeare-ish. It's a fine performance, both in the TV show and in this movie. In this movie, though, it really, really, really goes over the top uh, when he is trying to be Bruce Wayne too much. And as I said earlier, he wanted to do this movie and would only do this movie if he could have considerable screen time as Bruce Wayne. And Jesus, he shouldn't have got what he asked for because <laughs> it's terrible. It's holy snooze fest, Batman. It is terrible. But I like him. I think he does a good job, but he needs to be Batman more. Oh, and let me, he does make the most absurd scene in the history of Batman when he's running around trying to get rid of the bomb. And that is the most ludicrous thing in the history of this series and this movie, him trying to almost do a airplane skit, trying to get rid of that bomb. And then once he finally does, he says, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb sort of tongue in cheek. And it's just goofy as can be, you you know, uh, I, I will say that I, I see Adam West's portrayal in the same uh, school of William Shatner acting. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar. And I like William Shatner and Captain as Captain Kirk. And, you know, I, I try to look at this through the eyes of, you know, I grew up, the Batman that I kind of identified with was the Batman comics of the 80s, which was the Dark Knight, you know, Batman Year One. Um, There was some really, really dark and gritty Batman comics, and that's kind of what I, my first real introduction to a pure Batman story. And this is about as far away from that as you could be. (laughs) And so I, you know, once I got old enough and was really kind of becoming a fan of Batman, I didn't enjoy the Batman 66 series. But it is a a series of its time because that was the comic books in the 60s. They were they were campy. They were hokey. You know, they were colorful characters and ludicrous situations, such as a bomb that you're trying to get rid of before it goes off. And, you know, it it was a product of its time. And then Batman evolved into something else, you know, and I know a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you know, Tim Burton's Batman, which was much more dark and gritty. But when you look at even Tim Burton's Batman from 89 compared to like Batman Begins with uh, Christopher Nolan that looks campy. <laughs> I mean, that looks overly right. campy as well. It's just a step above what this is. It's just Batman wears a black suit instead, and there's no Robin. And then once you get into Batman Returns uh, with Tim Burton, you definitely walk into the camp realm. Right. That's nothing but camp for the sake of being camp. Yeah, I mean, through the, the through the rest of the kind of 90s Batman, if you will, you know, they get very much into the cartoon aspect of it by the Joel Schumacher films. Mm. And there's, you know, horrible, I mean, there's a horrible dialogue, just like you had in the Adam West series, you know, uh, you know, especially by Batman and Robin. I mean, that was just, (laughs) uh, that that was just 
uh, an abysmal Batman film. You know, I would rather watch this film than Batman and Robin. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Yeah, that's it's just one of those things that again you got to look at it through a couple different prisms, as we both have said. I saw this as a kid every day of my life after school, and I thought this was just the most awesome stuff in the world. And when I saw this movie that one Sunday afternoon, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because you got the bat copter, you got the bat boat, you got to see him go out of the bat cave upwards. You never saw that on the TV show. You got to see them flip the switch, which would then put their costumes on as they're going down the bat pole. You saw everything that you didn't get to see on the TV show. And that's what made this one really, really cool. Um, but once again, Adam West, Burt Ward's acting, it's just that it was so over the top and campy that it's just hilarious to watch with today's eyes. Well, something you brought up initially is four villains. I mean, you yes. have the four, and I would argue, at least in the 60s, the big four, you know, Joker, Riddler, the Penguin, and Catwoman. Uh, the only one I think that's not represented there that I would have considered a big uh, villain at the time was Two-Face. Um, right. But it, you you had four villains in one film and played by it, what I would say or the four. Well, actually, nah, I guess not Catwoman wasn't the uh, right. It was not the the they, the iconic Catwoman of the, the series. But Burgess Meredith, Cesar Romero and Frank Gorshin. I mean, those were the three main guys. And they they. They distinctly defined the characters for me g until you started getting the films in the 90s. Right, right. Especially uh, the Joker. I don't think anybody's ever going to forget Cesar Romero's Joker. And especially in this movie and the fact that he refused to shave off his mustache. Yeah. And you can see it perfectly in high definition these days. Oh, my God, Cesar. What were you thinking? Um, but his performance was so perfect as to what you would think a egom egomaniacal serial killer type evil person would be. And he pulls it off perfectly in the TV show and especially in this movie, um, especially when he's wearing a mask over his face to hide his identity, even though everybody knows he's the Joker. But anyway, uh, then the Riddler, Frank Gorshin is one of the most sinister looking human beings to ever walk the face of the earth. And he pulls off the Riddler perfect. And Burgess Meredith, who we all love from the Rocky films, I mean, he's set an example for the Penguin that's been followed by every movie, TV show, everything that's ever done the Penguin ever since. And But I agree with you on Catwoman. Yeah, Julie Newmar as the Catwoman would, as Catwoman is the perfect Catwoman for this TV series. Yeah, Meredith, what's her last name? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> Oh, shit. I got Lee Merriweather. Correct. She's Lee Merriweather. She's the one who played Catwoman in this film, and she does a decent job. But when they first introduce her out of the costume, I didn't remember her being the Catwoman because I'm looking for Julie Newmar everywhere. And then when they say she's Catwoman, I'm like, well, where's Julie? And I have to then go back and do my research to remember that Julie was off doing something else and couldn't get to this film. So what well, she was committed to doing something else that ultimately didn't get made. <laughs> ah, that's what it was. Okay. So, uh, which was, and she didn't know that this was going to be made uh, right. in between seasons. And 
well, I think she, I think I read something where that she would rather have done the film, but she was already committed to this other project, which ultimately got scrapped after this one already went into pr- production. So she didn't have an option. But the bad the bad guys, the four antagonists are they're great. If you've never seen the TV series or anything, you get a good dose of them. They come off perfectly from the TV series and into the movie. I don't think the story gives them the quality of badness that they should have, but when they're portraying the actual characters, they're pulling them off the way I always grew up watching them and envisioned them. When you say quality of badness as in evil, like crime driven or badness and bad acting. (laughs) No, not necessarily bad acting. Bad in terms of I didn't quite get their purpose. It just didn't make sense what they were trying to accomplish here. I mean, if they're trying to blow up uh, Batman and Robin with uh, porpoises and sharks, okay, I could have handled that. But them trying to turn all the world leaders into dust, that just seemed a little bit far-fetched. Well, you know, you, you bring up something there about kind of the their their evil motivations. And it's something that I, I think the strength of this film is the villains. I, I like the villains and the fact that they team up together and for the campiness, this is just a step above like the super friends, <laughs> now, you know, against the Legion of doom where you had a lot of the other villains, you know, combining for joining forces to, to battle the heroes. I mean, their, their motivations and their, uh, you know, their, plans were just as campy as what they were in this but they were brought to to live action so i thought it was an easy bridge to make for me from the super friends back to this i just didn't necessarily like batman and robin as much i never liked burt ward i still don't like burt ward as as robin i just it's it's a version of robin that i just i i think is so so dated yeah i i he's he's another one of those that you sort of like you're talking about with uh, adam west and even William Shatner playing Captain Kirk. Burt Ward just looks like he's there to be comic relief. And he has always given you that presence. He, you can't take Robin seriously, TV show, this movie, anything. It's He's just there to make his little punchlines. He's almost Kramerish in a way. And just do what he can to help Batman out with Oh, here's the shark repellent, Batman. Let me bring it down to you. Sorry, the or what, bat shark repellent. <laughs> bat shark repellent, sorry. Or uh, sit in the car with Alfred and not monitor Bruce Wayne making out with Catwoman. You know, just those weird, stupid things like that. He's like a comic relief character, a side character. He always has been in his role here, and I, it just is what it is. You just have to go with it and make fun of it because there's no way to take it seriously. Well, I mean, the stuff that that happens in this film, Batman having his leg bitten on by a shark, not injured, uh, that ultimately explodes. uh, The bat shark repellent trademark pending, uh, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, that always makes me laugh every time I watch any of the 66 shows or this movie is the bat copter, the bat batmobile the bat this the bat that it's like i always want to say it's trademark pending trademark pending you know like the, like it's a brand uh, <laughs> you couldn't just say shark repellent hand me the shark repellent <laughs> saves one extra syllable uh, but you know like the 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 even the the exploding porpoise that's a completely done off camera i mean it has like it's not done for any like 
dramatic effect whatsoever. It was just like, oh, and because the bad guys are watching, there's an explosion, and then they look, and the buoy's just floating there, and the Batman and Robin are gone. And I'm like, well, they obviously survived because then the buoy's still there. You know, like, it's what did you think to do? The bomb would just blow them off the buoy? Uh, and then my other favorite part about these two is they're judgmental about the the other bad people in the tavern because they're out, they're all drinkers. And Robin makes a joke about it at one point in time, how they're bad people because they're drinking and all that. And the Batman actually says, they may be drinkers, Robin, but they also are human beings. And I'm just sitting here going, you guys are now judgmental against drinkers <laughs> and alcohol, but yet I'm sure Bruce has a bottle or two of port someplace in the mansion. Yeah, Bruce Wayne's a teetotaler. I mean, just like who 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 knew that? You know, Alfred, uh, get get me some seltzer, but make sure you don't mix any of the gin into it. I, I is it isn't that kind of that he's a playboy? Isn't he yeah. living the wild lifestyle? Isn't that the kind of the image we're supposed to get? So we throw off suspicion that he's actually the Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of what I always thought. But yeah, going back hindsight twenty twenty, when they start making fun of them for being drinkers, I just had to giggle. Yeah. Well, one thing I think is really interesting about the history of this film is that when this was created, DC Comics had not been purchased by Warner Brothers, which mm. obviously I believe it was in the seventies that they purchased Warner Brothers, or Warner Brothers per- purchased DC Comics. So this film was released under the twentieth Century Fox logo, and the rights to this film are still, from my understanding, with 20th Century Fox, which was acquired by Disney. <laughs> so Correct. this is the only Batman movie that is actually owned by Disney, not by DC <laughs> or Warner Brothers. Because I kept looking around like HBO Max and other things that would go along with the rest of the Paramount and Warner Brothers collection and couldn't find it. And then I remembered I had the... DV or the Blu-ray of this movie, and I started looking around and realized, yeah, it's still owned by uh, Disney and 20th Century Fox. Yeah, I, I am surprised that no one has tried to reacquire the rights to this mm-hmm. if, for whatever reason. I mean, back in 1989, to have been, you know, you had a lot of fuck you money to go to throw something at 20th Century Fox and say, hey, give me a, give us that throwaway film that isn't worth anything to you guys. You know, you know, we'll let you release it in 1989 because you'll make a couple bucks. But in, by 1991, no one's going to care again. Yes. And that would have been like, I agree with you. That would have been the perfect time because the when the Tim Burton movie was coming out, the 66 Batman stuff was everywhere at the time. The mm-hmm. TV show was being re aired every place. The uh, little action figures that I remember getting were popping up here and there. So yeah, it definitely was out there. So it would have been a perfect time to reacquire it. Well, let's sum it up. Well, wh- what do you think of Batman the movie? Uh, after all said and done on a scale of one to five, do you consider this film a bad one or do you give it a high five? Uh, this is a two star movie there, Batman. Um, I'll I'll give it just two stars only because of nostalgia purposes and the fact that the, you get to see the first versions, not the first exact versions of Batman, live action Batman, but the ones that most people grew up with, especially of our generation. And you get to see the live action Penguin, Joker, Riddler, Catwoman, Alfred, Chief O'Hara, Commissioner Gordon. 
too bad that this second movie wasn't made so we could see Barbara Gordon as uh, Batgirl, but hey, that's another argument. But it's just one of those things. It's a fine watch to watch for nostalgia purposes, and that's about it. Wow. Holy overrating there, Batman. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a one and a half star, possibly a one star movie that uh, I, I the strength of it is the villains. I don't like Batman Robin. I agree with you. I get completely bored in that middle section of Bruce Wayne and Kitka getting kidnapped as part of this ploy. I mean, it just seems so arbitrary and pointless and slows down the pace of the film. Not that there's a strong pace anyways. And you really have to be a true fan of the 66 series to really, really like this film. This is not the Batman that I identify with. This is not how I like my Batman. I, I like it for the nostalgia purposes of that. Hey, this is, this is a Batman of a different era and how it represents the comic books in the 1960s. But, I don't like those comic books either. So it's not necessarily I'm going to like the film that much. It's just as like, yeah, that's, it's kind of different. So yeah. Uh, one and a half stars at most. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I was thinking about just to be kind to this movie is if you watch the first five minutes of it, I believe you get to basically get a good reintroduction to the entire TV show. Um, they race through it to get you to be introduced to who Batman and Robin are and the TV show until they get to their bat boat and have to go out to sea. If you want to ever introduce somebody to the TV show without showing them the TV show or this whole movie, just show them the first five minutes of this movie. And it basically is a nice trailer or a short introduction piece for the whole thing. And then you can go from there if anybody really, really wants to watch any of this stuff all right well that's it for our review of batman the movie please let us know what you think of the film in the comment section and for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com please rate the film one to five stars on that page as well if you've enjoyed today's review please don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel the mhm podcast network where we have many many more film reviews from yesterday today and beyond well until next time i'm patrick I'm Chad, and I guess it was a good day to find a bomb. <laughs> well, yeah, we found one. <laughs> and now we've disposed of it as well. And this concession stand is now closed. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The song Rock On Bretta is brought to you by Marwan Nimra at Nintentine.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Movie House Concessions, the MHN Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC unless otherwise noted.